You know, every once in a while, I like to take a little flashback inside the Commonwealth time capsule to revisit old conversations. Well, I shouldn't say old. I've only been doing this since late 2020, but uh, early conversations in the podcast that uh, maybe some people have forgotten about and maybe some people might want to relive if they're like me because these were such great guests. Now, I've been very fortunate. I've not had any bad ones, but certain conversations just stand out. And one of them that just stands out to me is one I had with Mr. Sam Yates. He is a man that uh, I grew up listening to and loving on the radio on various stations in the Henderson-Evansville area. And he met and greeted a number of famous folks that I know you're going to know and had some memorable interviews and chats with them. Sam and I could have talked another two or three hours at least, I'd say, on top of, of what we did. And hopefully we will at some point talk again. But for now, we're going to revisit this interview from Sam Yates, and we will hear it in mere, mere moments on Blabbit in the Bluegrass Season 6, Episode 15. Kentucky features so much more than basketball and horses. We're home to scenic spectacles and one-of-a-kind golf courses. If boating, fishing, dining, or music is your pleasure, we'll guide you to the sights and sounds that you will truly treasure. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste. From Litchfield to Lynch, Ledbetter to Lawrenceburg, nobody but nobody blankets the Commonwealth quite like we do here on Blabbit in the Bluegrass as we thoughtfully and wholeheartedly explore and celebrate all things Kentucky. How you doing? I'm Sam Moore here at the lovely and luxurious North Quail Motel in beautiful Henderson, KY, taking a trip back in time to an interview I did. I hate the term interview because it always sounds so businesslike. A conversation that I had in uh, early 2021. I believe it was April of 2021 with Sam Yates. And if you've lived in the Henderson-Evansville Owensboro, Madisonville, Dixon, Waverly area, <laughs> for any extended time frame, that name should certainly ring a bell. He uh, enjoyed a very successful radio career beginning at WYNG in the 80s, at least that was his first uh, full-time radio job, and then from there WKDQ and other stations here, there, and yonder, uh, primarily in the Henderson-Evansville area, and he uh, retired from radio in 2008 and now lives on the East Coast, Georgia, to be exact, Savannah area, and uh, that's where you can find him with his uh, toes in the sand most days if he's not uh, <laughs> engaged in grandchildren activities, as we will hear. Uh, he does have one of them, actually two of them. So, we will get the gist on that and Sam's impressive career. He interviewed so many great celebrities ranging from uh, from Vanna White to uh, Dick Clark to Bob Barker, although some of them were on the phone still to be able to chat with the likes of these famous celebrities. It's just unreal to imagine. And how did he do it? How did he pull it off? Well, obviously in those days when he talked with the vast majority of these people, times were different and radio was different then than it is now. So we'll be uh, interested to recap and uh, relive the approach that he took to uh, talking with these celebs. And I know that you won't want to miss it. But before we revisit Sam Yates, I want to bring to you another Bluegrass Brain Buster because even though we're revisiting an old interview, we are not reusing an old Bluegrass Brain Buster. No way, Jose! 
We've got a new one hot off the press and ready for you, so we're going to give it to you now. We will give you the answer after Sam and I get done blabbing. Now, uh, there are, whether you realize it or not, four rivers, four rivers that define the border of Kentucky. What are they? Now, chances are you probably know two of them. Two of them are pretty obvious, but the other two may not stand out so much, particularly if you don't live in close proximity to those rivers. But there are four of them, like we said, that define the border of Kentucky. Four rivers, what are they? Get the juices flowing and we will tell you at the end of the show. Sam Moore proudly presents his Commonwealth Crowd Pleaser. Well, today, guys and gals, we are quite privileged to be joined by a longtime Henderson Evansville radio veteran. You might remember him from his many days on KDQ. You might remember him from his days on WYNG, among a few other stops in between there. And he is now here to join us, and uh, he's going to talk about his experiences in broadcasting. There were plenty of them, to say the least. And then he's going to talk to us about his brand new archive page. So all of you that are fans like I am can go and hear some of his treasured clips of interviews and air checks, all that fun stuff. So let's hear it. Fresh off the beach in Darien, Georgia, it's none other than Sam Yates. Good to be with you, man. I pre appreciate you letting me be on this uh, this shindig of yours. Huh? You know? Well, I I appreciate it. It's uh, the Sam and Sam show. That would have made a good morning show back in the day. Well, you know, you were talking about when you introduced me. You said he was uh, his days at this station and his days at that station. Actually, boy, you hit the nail on the head. Days. <laughs> they could only tolerate me for like a few days, and then they kicked me on to another station. So, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. They they were all they were all great people. Yes, indeed. I believe it. Now, I'm having sudden flashbacks all of a sudden to the time that um, I was about six years old and the morning show on KDQ was you and none other than Stan Clark. Oh, yes. Yeah. My soap opera buddy. <laughs> Your soap opera buddy. Oh, uh, yeah. We, uh, we went to New York and appeared in an episode of, uh, what was it, Guiding Light, that thing that was on CBS you know, from 1912 until they, they ended up canceling it, I think, about 10 years ago or whatever. Oh, I gotcha. So you went up there he and... He played uh, a doctor. Stan Clark played a doctor. Oh, uh, so that's not miscasting. I don't know what is, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, there is a little bit of irony there, it seems like. Yeah, and I was, I was his patient. And you were the patient. So, uh, okay. <laughs> I don't have to tell you what the outcome of that episode was. I, oh, I gosh. I, no, can, I, didn't. No. I can only imagine. But uh, I've not heard Stan Clark's voice in quite a while. Do you know anything about Stan's whereabouts? I, I haven't heard uh, from Stan or heard anything about Stan for the longest time. But, uh, you know, he was one of, those, one of those voices that I grew up listening to. I used to listen to him when he was on AM uh, 1330 WJPS back in the 70s oh. and uh it never occurred to me that uh you know i'd be working with him but the, but the same can be said for a whole lot of other people you know i i, I never thought uh, there, there were many many broadcasters that i grew up listening to i never thought i'd meet them let alone you know work with them and be welcomed as part of the broadcasting fraternity yes exactly <laughs> funny the great thing about being in the business funny how the wide world of radio works now, uh, you've been retired from the local radio scene since 2008 when you last were at uh, WKDQ doing afternoons. WKDQ, right. So, why don't you enlighten our listeners on what you've been up to since you retired from full-time radio, Sam? Yeah, I, I, got, I was very active in uh, commercial voiceovers. I had my own studio, and uh, I had that going for about 15 years. I was in about 70 markets across the country. Still heard in Evansville on local stations there. But after about 15 years, I just, you know, I, I was ready to just kind of um, move on because I had a lot of new things enter my life. One, one in particular, uh, a little a little baby grand girl named Presley. Aww. She'll be three, three years old uh, June 20th. I have, I have other older grands. But, uh, you know, she, 
she occupies a huge chunk. Oh, I can imagine. And, and, you know, going to the beach and doing all the coastal fun stuff, it just, um, I, w- I was just ready to, I had my run 45 years total, and um, radio, television, ad agency work, voiceover studios. It was fun, but all, all things come to an end eventually, Sam. One of these, one of these days, it's going to be a long time from now, but you, you'll, <laughs> you, you will find that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sooner or later, they all tell me that time will come. Some of us find it sooner than later. <laughs> but, but thankfully, I was one of the one of the ones that found it later. So. And uh, when, when the salt and the salt water and the sand come calling, they call loudly, so I've been told. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I never thought I would be uh, a beach enthusiast or an ocean enthusiast or any of that stuff. But uh, when, you, when you move down here, you just you, you become that. It just, it just happens. So now, it's a good um, place to be. Growing up, if you're anything like I was when I was a child, you listened to seemingly endless amounts of radio. So talk to me a little bit about uh, the local radio stations and personalities that you listen to most of all as a, a young pup. WSON uh, in, in Henderson was the station that everybody who lived in Henderson would listen to, to hear the school closings and the local news and so forth. If you right. wanted top 40, uh, radio. You listen to WJPS at uh, thirteen thirty a.m. and uh, that that was until this thing called the River City Rocker twelve eighty WGBF came along. Yeah. And in one in one book, see they they were an old station that played old radio shows, you know. And then they then some new guys came in and turned it into a rocker. And I, in six months, that thing skyrocketed and blew just about everybody else off the road. But I used to listen to JPS, guys like Jim Stagg and the real Rodney Russell and uh, a bunch of Dave Wood and a bunch of others. And these guys would become friends of mine later on. It never occurred to me that I would get to, you know, meet any of them, let alone work with any of them, let alone being accepted as part of the (laughs) broadcasting fraternity. And then years later... When I became a success, these guys would come up to me and say, hey, don't forget to talk about me on your show tomorrow, okay? So <laughs> yeah, give me a mention. <laughs> one day, you're a kid going to school listening to these guys, and then, you know, the next day, they're coming to you saying, hey, when are you going to have me on your show? So it, that's that's how my life has been. So it's uh, been people who, you know, you, you – this is a word that offends people, but I'm going to use it anyway. People you idolize – and then hey, it's a word then I one use. day you you get to you you get to be their their friend and colleague and get together and have a good time and have fun and tell stupid jokes and all that kind of thing, you know. Sure. Oh yeah, that's that's what it's all about. <laughs> Conversation and cutting up. Now uh, speaking of JPS, the uh, the late David Moore told me one time that um WJPS one time uh, caught on fire, and all he heard on WJPS for about 24 hours or so was Burning Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash. Do you remember that? That's, that's exactly <laughs> right. And um, they, were, they were known for doing those kind of things. <laughs> they did those kind of things. And back then, Sam, back then people didn't do that kind of stuff. There was no, no zaniness or craziness on radio back then. So when things like that happened, uh, I mean, it turned the the tri-state upside down. There was one other time when Jim Stagg, the late Jim Stagg, also known as Jerry Smith, he he played the song Wedding Bell Blues by the Fifth Dimension seven times in a row. Oh, my gosh. And and got fired. (laughs) Not really, but they, they put it across that way. (laughs) <laughs> and that was another publicity stuff. But see, back then, that's the kind of stuff they did. You know, today, the stuff that you hear on morning radio is I, stuff that I'm not old enough to hear, you know? Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> the, the country today is nothing like the country back in the 80s and 90s, back when... <laughs> oh, oh, no, no, no. I, I really, honestly, I, I can't listen to any of that stuff that's out there today. The best... The best stuff was, well, the geezer country, 50s and 60s, stuff my dad liked, 
and then the 70s, and then when the 80s, Alabama came along and Hank Jr., and they all, you know, expanded that audience and got it younger and younger and younger. And at the time that that was happening, that's when WYNG, the new country station, was starting to make to, to make some, some moves. And sure. in no time at all, it uh, just just exploded. Plus, we did Sam Yates and the Morning Crew, which was about as crazy a morning show for a country station at that time as you could <laughs> possibly imagine. <laughs> what they thought was crazy turned out to be brilliant. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, we made fun of local local media personalities, local politicians. Oh, that's uh, that. That's fun. That's awesome. <laughs> mayors Mac, uh, Vanderveer and Ed McDonald, uh, they were frequent targets of uh, of my my mind. And, <laughs> sure. And two, those two guys couldn't have loved it. They couldn't have loved it even more. Vanderveer got up on a billboard with me one morning when it was thirty nine degrees, and and he he played along, and McDonald played along. <laughs> How about See, that? That's, that's another thing. Politicians and local media celebrities—they didn't—they didn't have that kind of stuff to put up with back in the in the old days. When when we came along in the eighties, uh, we did we did a show that nobody else was doing, and nobody else would want to do. They said that guy is going to get himself fired. <laughs> and instead, we shot up to oh, I think we went from the seventh station in the market to the number two station. Seven to two, that's quite a jump. (laughs) In no time, and then over to KDQ years later and became number one. And I think that's the first, that was the first time in that station's history that it was number one in the market. How about that? So uh, Sam and Stan were the ones who, I mean, every morning people would call and say, You guys are going to get fired if you don't believe you're doing that stuff. It was the greatest thing I ever heard. I never got sick of hearing it. I about drove off the road when I heard you do that song parody about, you know, whatever, you know. Well. So, uh, <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I, and I had great sidekicks to work with, too. Sure. That, that makes it all worth it. Now, when, when did it first hit you that radio was your calling and that was what you wanted to do? Well, you know, television was really the thing that, that got my attention first. I used to watch all the old uh, – quiz show host, game show host people, people like Bob Barker and Gene Rayburn and Alan Ludden, and I just went, you know, gaga over those guys. Sure. And television was my first love, but when I became you know, a preteen and then a teen, I kind of turned away from the TV and started, you know, listening to radio. But my first, my first job in broadcasting was actually a television job. Ah, oh, gotcha. I did uh, news, no, I did sports, sports and weather on uh, the Henderson local local origination cable channel. I think we had an audience of about six total. <laughs> There's still an access. Back in those days, cable, you could only get cable in the city. You couldn't go past the city limits and, and get cable TV back in those days. In 1975, people were jumping up and down, excited that they could pick up, <laughs> in addition to the local stations, hey! Helen, we can see Paducah and Louisville too. Woo! I mean, and I mean that was that was a big deal. There was no WGN Chicago or Superstation TBS or any of that. So that the wow. rest of that stuff wouldn't come along for another, oh, I don't know, ten years or so. But uh, at age seventeen, I put on a you know sports coat and a tie, and I sit in an anchor desk next to uh, uh, Virginia Newman, who was the wife of the then mayor, uh, Bill Newman, in the city of Henderson. She was the okay. news anchor, and then I was the sports and weather guy. And I, I basically was there for comic relief, and, sure. it, and it worked. And then radio came came along shortly thereafter. So right. uh, t- TV was where it all started. So you got the <laughs> you got a taste of both worlds, first in TV. Oh, and- oh. <laughs> oh man, it was... It was fun. I had another show in addition to that that I was uh, in charge of producing, uh, not just hosting, which was a sports interview show. And um, the first guest that I got to have on that show, oh my gosh, um, was Jerry Kramer, who used to be the uh, the uh, pro linebacker for the Green Bay Packers. He was in 
I think he was in the first five Super Bowls. Oh, yeah, I, I knew that, guy, I knew that name sounded familiar. He was as big as a barn, you know? <laughs> yeah. But he came to town to, to speak at a YM, uh, YMCA banquet, and they were just right across the street from the television station. So uh, they said, come on over and talk to this guy. Come on over and talk to him. I didn't know anything about football. I didn't know what to ask him, but he helped me through the through the whole thing. And, I mean, he he was huge. And he played under Vince Lombardi. And One of the man, best. It don't get any better. I mean, no. he played under the guy that the Super Bowl trophy is named after. So, and played with Bart Starr and all the rest of those guys. But uh, anyway, that was fun. Mom told me she remembered you too from your days in the booth at uh, Doc Holliday's, which is now Rook. Absolutely. See, that all came from uh, a guy who worked at my first radio station job. Uh, which was WHKC, which is now WGBFFM. But see, the original owner of that station, this is the craziest thing you, you'll ever hear. The original owner of 103.1 FM was my next door neighbor. How about that? He, his kids, his kid, uh, the, the kids that I grew up playing with were his kids. And when I got into radio, that, that was the first station that I worked at. It was by then. But uh, from from that, I got into uh, club DJ work because there was a guy who worked at the station who said, "I'm I'm getting ready to go down south. I need somebody to you know run run this club." And I, I was underage. I I was not legal to you know to be in this establishment. But he said, "Don't worry about it. We'll take care of it." So they did. And then I guess well, about six years, I did. Uh, club DJ work, including Doc Holliday's. Right. And uh, that <laughs> that was a place that gave uh, their main competition across the river, Funkies and a couple of those other clubs. Boy, we gave them a lot of heartburn and heartache because on Friday and Saturday nights, <laughs> we packed that place way, 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 three, four times over the fire marshal uh, legal limit. Oh, so. how about that? <laughs> That's something to be proud of. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Folks across the river. Most importantly, though, Sam, that's where I met the lady who would be my wife of now four, going on 41 years. Oh, Tracy. And uh, met, met Tracy at Doc Holiday Saloon. And then uh, we got married. And then shortly thereafter, we had our first, uh, first son, our only son. And now he's getting ready to turn 35, and he is the last man standing in a home full of girls. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love to write, write him about that every day, but uh, yeah, he, he turned out turned out pretty well. Yeah, and he's uh, produced some mighty fine daughters, it sounds like. So that's, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> that's good to hear. Now tell me, Sam, about some of the – personal connections and uh, mentors who helped you to become acclimated to the world of radio in your early days. All those guys that I mentioned earlier, the ones I grew up listening to, um, there's a fellow who owned WKDQ long ago, long before it became the country station, a man by the name of Henry Lackey. And, uh, oh, I remember family, him well. His family, uh, family owned uh, that station and WSON. And at one time, I think they owned WEHT, which was Channel 50, when it signed on back in 1953. But but that voice of his, you know, oh my gosh, my mother took me over to the home him. team of station. And and you know, he um, <laughs> now he he looks upon me as well as that guy that made made a living making fun of my voice, you know. <laughs> but uh, he he and I have uh, hooked up recently, and uh, it was. That was wonderful to, to have happen. Yes, indeed. So you you worked uh, with Henry back when uh, SON owned, or uh, Henry owned KDQ, I should say, along with SON. And he sold KDQ back, I think it was 87, 88? Somewhere around there. I think it was maybe 85, 86, 87. He sold it to uh, another company. And then uh, about seven years later, uh, that same company, decided to do the unthinkable and after 22 years of being a hit music station whether it was rock pop album rock adult contemporary light rock whatever you want to call it, 
1992, September 1992, KDQ, without any warning whatsoever, went into Paul Harvey at 12 noon. The last song they played was a Gloria Estefan song. Coming out of Paul Harvey at about 20 after 12, they played Garth Brooks, two of a kind, working on a full house. <laughs> Quite a sharp contrast there. Poor, poor lady. <laughs> Our, our receptionist, she was just bombarded with angry calls saying, what is this I'm hearing and when is it going to end? <laughs> and we spent the whole day telling people that, you know, it's, we're country now. Yep, it's the new KDQ <laughs> now. <laughs> so y'all was the most <laughs> drastic format change, I think, I ever experienced, but it paid off. Oh, man, did it pay off. Oh, it's it's been a wildly successful country station all these years. But, but we, we had to work, I'll tell you what, we had to work, we, we had to work ourselves to death to make that happen. I know that we had billboards all over the tri-state. We went out and did two, three, four remotes a day, all over western Kentucky, all over southern Illinois, all over southern Indiana with that rabbit. Now that oh, rabbit yeah. became more popular than Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny combined. Oh, I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. And um, it was it was ginormous. So y'all had no clue about the format change the day before. I did not know what they were going to do until almost when it happened. <laughs> almost that moment. In, I was working briefly in Wilmington, North Carolina, for about three or four or five months, didn't like it, wanted to come back home. Uh, KDQ found out about it. They had this format change in mind and bringing me back and having my all my success in history and country radio, they just felt like, oh man, the timing, the timing is right to do this thing. So uh, they brought me back and for six months, we kept the same format, adult contemporary opening space. And then in September, uh, Boom. We changed it and it no nobody knew this was gonna happen. It was it was just incredible. <laughs> totally just a complete surprise. Well it, it definitely paid off like you said. And uh ever. <laughs> now um was um was Wing your first full time radio job, WYNG? WYNG was my first full time job. I came on board there in I think late 1982 the program director at that time was a guy that I knew real well and he needed a weekend guy so he he hired me I said it's been a few years and I've you know I've done this thing so here we are all right so he put me on weekends and, and then the next thing I knew I had a full-time shift in about six months went to middays and then well I guess maybe a year later the morning show there you go which was by far the most fun no doubt, I'm we, sure. We uh, we took a, a morning show that was okay and turned it into a zoo. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, we had a cast of like 20 different characters, plus, you know, a news guy, a sports guy. Our sports guy was as warped as could be. Uh, he would do crazy multiple choice quizzes on the air. He'd play a sports voice like a Pete Rose or someone. He said, all right, name that voice. A, Pete Rose, B, uh some terrorist name or whatever and then you know see see uh, uh jack benny or whatever i mean he he was just out there but it worked for the show sure yeah but... and that, that was the kind of show that we had but another thing that we did i think that really really put us up there was the the uh the celebrity interview nobody was doing this kind of stuff and i started doing it i started calling around to see if i could get interviews with people and back then, nobody was doing it. And, you know, one, one week we have Dick Clark on the show. The next week we have Susan Lucci of All My Children. The next week we have Vanna White, uh, Roger Ebert, the film critic. Uh, oh, gosh, I can't even begin to list all of them. Oh, goodness, and then that's that went, awesome. That went along with uh, every other radio job that, that I had. Probably, probably some 150 to 200 different people. Uh, some of them in the country music industry, but some of them were just entertainers. Ed McMahon, Bob Barker, uh, oh, oh, Phyllis gosh. Diller. 
<laughs> so it it was a it was a blast. And people tuned in to see. Oh, you hear he's going to talk to you this morning? You hear he's going to be on the And they'd listen. And then that was that that was the kind of stuff that nobody else was doing. So so it's uh, it, <laughs> it's actually a part, and uh, everybody else really enjoyed it. And then there was local celebrities too. I remember uh, one day on the morning show when. Um, when I was, I guess, about seven or eight, you uh, you woke Ron oh, Rhodes up. Me. You're killing me with that, Sam. You're killing me. <laughs> but anyway, I'll never forget, you uh, You called and you woke Ron Rhodes up on woke the air. Ron Rhodes up, woke uh, Mike Blake up. Uh, <laughs> the wake-up call, we did, uh, we did that with a lot of local people. But uh, one morning, I decided to call somebody a little, little more different than the rest of them. Uh, this is in 1984. Uh-huh. The Chicago Cubs had won the National League Eastern Division for the first time in like 37 years. Right. You know, back in the old days, everybody's name, whether you were famous or not, just about everybody's name was in the phone book. It was, it was in the directory. So I looked up Harry Carey. Uh-huh. He's in there. Legend. So I called, and he answered the phone. <laughs> and we did the interview. And then a few years later, uh, we did another one. And uh, it was it was a blast, just an absolute blast. And people would say, "How do you do this? How do you how do you do this?" I said, "Because because I I take my chances and I go for it. Nobody go. else was doing it, so I you know we did it." <laughs> it's like you know they they can't hurt you over the phone, even if they are mad at you. So <laughs> today, Sam, today you got to go through. Oh. All kinds of red tape and publicists. And oh, I know. Yeah. Email, emails and uh, uh, you, you just got to jump through a lot of hoops. And most of the time, people don't like to do this kind of stuff. But back then, they did. Yeah. And celebrity, and, I mean, uh, we, <laughs> celebrity we contact. Just about everybody. <laughs> yes. And celebrity contact information was a lot easier to come by back then for sure but uh, <laughs> a local show couldn't do this only if you were a big network or a big market radio morning show you could probably pull it off still but uh not uh you know not in a little area like uh like ours it was just uh, yeah it was, it was incredible <laughs> in the henderson area henderson evansville area today that's uh larry that, king we even called him and he talked to us how about that and uh you know we lost him not long ago and uh Anyway, I, I have a lot of this stuff put away in my in my archives, and uh, it's fun to listen to. Just out of curiosity, who was the first artist that you were ever privileged to introduce on stage at a concert, and what do you remember most? Uh, what stands out in your mind most about that experience? That that would be John Anderson. Uh-huh. Uh, WYNG was getting ready to have its first anniversary. Uh, listener appreciation concert and the listener didn't have to pay a dime to get in we had a sponsor who who put up the money for the for the artist oh totally so, show. so at the time that we were putting this together john anderson had the number one record in the country with swinging swinging and he had the number number one album in the country with wild and blue mm. so he was he was the hot property and we got it and he, and he came to what used to be Vandenberg Auditorium, did two shows. Uh, all the air staff were, you know, wearing uh, black tie and tails and all that kind of thing, cowboy hats. Right. And uh, that was that was the first time. You know, he, he, he was the first. And uh, still love the guy. Still still love how he sounds. Oh, yeah. I never get tired of hearing Strike Tequila Night. That's it. That's the one. That is the one. I think I played that at the end of my show on KDQ in the afternoon, oh, at least two or three times a week. Oh, how about that? So you were <laughs> you were consistent anyhow. I'm sure I'm sure John Anderson appreciates it too. Yeah. Terrific terrific guy. Oh yeah, I've heard some of his interviews. He does sound like a a fun guy to hang out with indeed. Now um I know that You've dabbled in several different formats, but country was always your favorite. So why don't you tell us why country music has always been first and foremost in your book when it comes to radio formats? Well, I'll tell you what, 80s country and 90s country. Uh, I like further back, but after about 2005, 2008, um, it was just changing too much 
to appeal to that to that younger uh, that younger demo. Uh, Carrie Underwood backstage, I told her, I said, "Thank you, thank you for what you're doing." And yeah. she said, "I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything." He said, "No, you you did. You got people in their twenties and in their teens listening to this this music. Jesus take the take the wheel." Uh, appeals to a mass crossover uh, audience. Indeed, it so, does. And she did, she did a good thing. But then, a few years later, country music started sounding too pop, right? Too, too rap. Too, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. But it's just, um, it's just not the country that I love. No, <laughs> I think a lot of people would would agree with you there. Now that was um, that was a show that Carrie Underwood did at uh, Roberts, I assume, when you met her. Right, right. Yeah, that's yeah, she was she was fantastic, and and she she's earned everything that she's uh, achieved because she's just a, a great talent. And um, oh but, yeah, uh, even even she started going a little more toward pop in some in some ways but that's that's what they're doing now yeah that seems to be the <laughs> the new trend so you <laughs> you know it it is what it is now but i also have a i got a 34 year old daughter-in-law who who loves johnny cash she loves oh. johnny cash and um that you know that does a lot for me she loves loretta lynn coal miner's daughter's her favorite favorite movie my son's favorite movie coal miner's daughter and oh my gosh bringing loretta lynn out on stage one night at uh what do they call it now the the uh the, well not the victory but are they it's, uh what is it, it the uh old national events class something else but anyway uh out out she comes and getting to spend a couple of minutes with her talking and then bringing her out uh See that she she was my dad's favorite, so all I could do was think about, oh man, if, if the if the old man could see me now, which in a way I'm I'm sure he could. No, oh, yeah, no doubt, <laughs> absolutely, he he'd be proud that you were uh, <laughs> digging some Loretta Lynn. Now, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> let's see. This is uh, this this may be sort of a a hard one for you, but if you had to choose a favorite country music artist interview of all that you did back in the day which would it be and what makes this particular interview your favorite i think it would probably have to be randy travis because he had just had his first two hits and he was still scared and still young and still not sure uh whether he was whether his success was was going to continue and uh boy i mean it's from 1986 all the way through the rest of the 80s all the way through the 90s oh yeah um, uh, he he just he owned it yeah he... and, you know, <laughs> unfortunately he's had some he's, he's had some bad uh bad things come along uh, further down the road but uh there's there's no getting away from the fact that he was the one when george jones did that song Who's gonna fill their shoes? Oh, uh, good one! He directly mentioned Randy Travis as being one of those one of those artists. That's definitely deserving. I'm gonna have to go back. I've heard that song a number of times, but I forget the mention of Randy Travis. So I'm gonna have to go back. And, and... that was another one. You know, George Jones even getting a quick hello and a handshake from from the possum. Uh, I mean, when my ma my hand met his hand, uh, it felt like lightning struck. <laughs> uh, George George Strait was another one. I got to introduce George Strait the last time he would play Robert Stadium in Evansville. Oh, that's and, cool! Uh, oh my gosh! <laughs> and like a like a bonehead, I was trying to look cool, and I put my hand up like I was going to give him a high five, and then he stuck his hand down to give me a handshake. And I thought to myself, "Oh, God, shake his hand! Shake his hand! Don't don't try to do a high five with George Strait." <laughs> Yeah, so that turned that turned out to be uh, it could have been real clumsy, but it's it smoothed out nicely. And George George is a, he's still a very very big supporter of country radio and country DJs. And um, well, that, that's awesome. Just, 
just another one of those moments, you know. Absolutely. Something you'll never forget. Now, what year was George Strait's last Robert Stadium show? Do you remember? It's when I was at KDQ and probably around 90, 95, 96, something like that, because I left KDQ in 97 to uh, to go elsewhere. So I think it was around then. And then shortly thereafter, Robert Stadium uh, was was no longer. And it's, I mean, it's gone. It's you know, it's, it's, it's a shame. It's no longer there. Right. The, a lot of shows. <laughs> the I saw Elvis in that stadium. I saw Elvis. I saw Sinatra in that stadium. Oh, look and, at you. And, and all of these country artists, of course, but a lot of rockers as well. And, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's, uh, it's gone. The last Boy, um, we spent a lot of time out there. Well, I did too. The last show that I saw at Robert stadium was, uh, Miranda Lambert. Hey, oh, and she she's cuter than a speckled pup, I tell you. I'm telling you, she's a she's a little ball of fire, but she is quite entertaining. She sure is. <laughs> but she uh, but she is a very very, ex, I mean, enormously talented lady, and um, she she got us a lot of good uh, listenership. Uh, you know, back back when she was really happening. Oh yeah, and <laughs> and she's still she's still out there lurking, so I'm sure she's still getting. <laughs> okay, oh you, yeah, you I see listeners. her videos from time to time. Sure. Oh yeah, I bet you do. Now uh, a number of your years at uh, KDQ were spent with a uh, another tri-state radio legend, Mister Large and in Charge, Big Bill Love. Uh and uh, I'm not even going to try to impersonate him. I know I would fail miserably, but uh, <laughs> yes, indeed. But uh, I, I tell you, having listened to him for many years, I can't imagine there was ever a dull moment for anybody around him. So, uh, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like for you to share with us your favorite Big Bill love story during your time working with him. Well, Bill and I were competitors a long time ago. I was at WYNG, he was at WBKR. Right. And we were both morning show competitors. Uh, he, he had the Owensboro audience uh, sewn up, but, you know, we, we had the Evansville, Southern Indiana, Southern Illinois, Kentucky, so we, we had that pretty much taken care of. But when I started working in, with him at KDQ, I mean, it was a blast from day one. And I always look forward to him coming into the studio and he bringing this, this big briefcase and he'd drop it on the floor and it sounded like it had a ton of bricks in it <laughs> but but he he does a lot of other things on the side and he's while he's doing his show he's scheduling you know record hops and things like that but uh kdq used to do every year at the beginning of the season at holiday world and splash and safari we'd go up there and do an entire day's broadcast from 6 a.m until 7 p.m. Oh, nonstop. We, we, we drag our big broadcast van up there, and we had a big stick that we put on top of it. Our engineer took care of us, made sure the signal quality was great. Right. And as soon as I got off the air at 10, uh, Bill took over. But Bill spent more time playing skee-ball, which was just a few steps away from the, from the broadcast van. So there were many times... <laughs> When the guy back at the station would throw it to him, the mic would come up. You'd hear, and you know he'd be over there. So I'd grab the mic and say, "Hi, this is Sam. Big Bill's busy playing skee ball right now. He'll be back to do the rest of his show later. Meantime, here's so and so. He's got bigger fish to fry. (laughs) Yeah, he 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 loved that skee ball again. But here's the story that I love to share with everybody. Sure. Uh. KDQ's broadcast vehicle was parked pretty close to that stage where Santa Claus would come out about two or three times and do a little story time with the kids. Kids would sit in the in the seats and he'd get up on stage and he'd do his Santa Claus thing. Oh, well, wow. before Santa's first show, Santa walked down and he saw our big orange extension cord plugged into an outlet there on his stage and and all of a sudden we heard the station signal or the the sound of the radio station not coming through the speakers it just it was gone and bill was on the air at that time and bill turned around and he he saw santa claus holding the end of that extension cord 
and Bill ran Bill ran down the steps <laughs> to Santa Claus and he said, Santa, what the hell did you do? <laughs> and and there, there's families and kids and everybody are walking around and saying, Mommy, I'm in that man just said something dirty to Santa Claus. And I tell you. <laughs> With all those kids around. <laughs> just hilarious. But oh. only he could get away with something like that because he was Big Bill Love. But, yeah, he did. <laughs> Santa Claus didn't know what he did. He just saw that plug and thought, oh, well, I'm going to unplug this. And, he, you know, and by doing so, he cut us, cut us off of our remote broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then here all these parents are trying to explain to their kiddos, now you're still not supposed to say what Big Bill just said. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Big Bill's not going to get much for Christmas this year. So won't you? <laughs> Don't don't you talk like him? Yeah, <laughs> I love. Uh, I tell that story. Everybody loves that story. I think it was Byron Douglas, uh, the weather guy, at fourteen, Channel fourteen. He he fell over laughing in, in pain. Oh, I can imagine. Because, you know, everybody knows Big Bill Love, and you you would never think that Big Bill would go down there and cuss out Santa Claus. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's hard but to that's, picture. <laughs> that's that's just one of the many, many great memories I have of working with him. And nobody knows more about classic classic country music than Brother Love, who oh, was no. an old rock and roll disc jockey. You know, he, that's true. Back in the seventies, he did rock. <laughs> you know how he came up with that name, Big Bill Love? Uh, how so? I, I don't think I've heard he, this story. Uh, Jerry Lewis in the Nutty Professor, that character that he played, his name was Buddy Love. Oh, buddy love. Bill, Bill told me that he just he just stole that name instead of Buddy Love, Bill Love, because he kept his first name, Bill. Sure. But Big Bill, Big Bill Love came from the Jerry Lewis Nutty Professor character. And it just sort of clicked. <laughs> that's that's it. So there's some trivia now that Gosh. maybe, maybe uh, people listening will find something for I don't know. Yeah, that's <laughs> hey. We're always looking for bluegrass brainbusters around here. Now, uh, you're from Henderson. He is actually from Paintsville. I know Paintsville, Kentucky. Uh, <laughs> he, he worked at a radio station uh, that a guy named Nick Clooney also worked for. Nick Clooney. And Nick would sometimes bring his little boy over, and uh, the little boy would sit in Big, Big Bill's lap. That little boy was George. I figured George was related somewhere. <laughs> yep, yep. That's, that's it. Nick Clooney, uh, you know, he had success in television as a game show host. I think you see him sometimes on these uh, public television nostalgia concert uh, shows or whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So Bill knew George Clooney before most anybody else did. <laughs> little George Clooney sat on his on his lap. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I knew there was a reason I asked you to be a guest on my show. So <laughs> there's so many, so many great stories and, and people. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so ding dang proud of you. Uh, I remember the, the days when you were just a, a little guy and, uh, your, your wonderful parents, uh, David, who I went to school with and loved, loved him dearly. And Susie, um, I, I'm going to say something about Susie, if I may. Hey, you may. She may get the big head, but you can say it anyway. She, uh, Sam, I don't think there was a, a nicer, friendlier classmate that I can think of than, than that lady. Well. Uh, when we met for the first time, she didn't know, she didn't know who I was. I didn't know who she was, but. I knew she was very accomplished in all of her activities in high school, but she was just instantly the sweetest, nicest person you'd ever want to meet on, on God's green earth. And well, I love her dearly. Oh, they're starting up a, uh, starting up a boat here at, uh, at the dock. So hopefully it's not blasting too loud there. Okay. I think I barely hear it, but you're not, you're not fighting or anything. So <laughs> you're uh, the they're not doing a remake of the Poseidon Adventure or anything like that. So, oh, uh, shoot, I had my hopes don't, up. Don't have to worry worry about that. But uh, <laughs> you know, you mentioned uh, you mentioned my Facebook page. I, I got to tell you, in all honesty, it's not a public page or a fan page, but 
anybody that wants to send a friend request, feel free to do so. And uh, uh, sooner or later, I'll, I'll get back to you. There you go. And once, but, um... <laughs> but you're uh, you're on board, and and so is uh, your your the, what, that wonderful lady I just talked about. And for for a long time, uh, uh, David was as well. Yes, indeed. He was proud to be a, a member as well. And why don't you expand a little more? We talked on um, we talked a little bit about some of the interviews that are on there, but why don't you give us some more uh, little uh, teasers about what we can hear on the Sam Yates Archives page? Uh, I would I would have to say this out of everybody uh, that I got to everybody I got to meet, uh, Dick Clark was probably the moment. No, he was the the most accommodating, thoughtful, friendly, willing to do anything for you kind of guy. He he and I became very very good friends. Uh, as a matter of fact, in two thousand two, I flew out to L.A. I you know spent my own money, put myself up, but he took care of it the rest of the way. He gave me all access uh, production credentials to the taping of the American Bandstand 50th anniversary special for ABC. All right. And it was done at the, I mean, I got to go places that the media people did. Entertainment Tonight, Extra, Access Hollywood, they didn't have, they didn't have the access that I had. So it was three days. And I mean, it was the biggest show I'd ever seen in my life. Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, Kiss, um, Oh, I can't even. I can't even begin to list all of the artists. That's like but a who's who, isn't it? Uh, Pasadena Civic Auditorium, all the old bandstand regular dancers from the fifties, sixties, seventies, and eighties. Uh, it was it was just ginormous. But a lot of that stuff is posted on there. But he he and I had a genuine genuine friendship for about thirty five years, and uh, I, yeah, I miss him right. miss him terribly, and I still can't believe that I, I got to have that association with, uh, with him. He was an extraordinary entertainment icon who had his hands in everything, everything. You know, he, he at one time owned uh, most of the Krispy Kreme donut stores across the country. Oh, did not know that. Uh, that was just one of the things that he did. Most people only know him for, you know, playing the records, uh, pyramid, bloopers and stuff. But he, he had his hands in so many other things that people didn't know about. Right. And he and his uh, lovely wife, Carrie, who I still keep in touch with, she loves the pictures of the grandkids and all that. But, uh, yeah, he, he was just prob- probably the, the highlight of everything in my career was my uh, association with him. Well, like um, like you said, when I think of Dick Clark, I mainly think of Rock, Roll, and Remember, and Dick Clark, New Year's Rock and Eve, but he did so much yeah. more. <laughs> oh, yeah. He uh, he was really involved in a lot of other business business interests that had, had nothing to do with media or television or, or music. Uh, he was just the kind of guy that if somebody said, hey, you know what, you ought to, you ought to invest in this. this. This is really going to take off you know, skyrocket. He, he'd examine it. He'd see if it was something that he could could make money from, and if and if so, he'd he'd do it. And uh, <laughs> the, the the joy that he got from each day of his life was doing doing things that, that he'd never done before. He loved to explore uncharted waters. He loved getting up every day and doing something that he had no idea how to do. But he would by the end of the day, he somehow learn how to do it. So he would find That's a way. That's a good to, way to live your life. It That's is a great way to live your life. <laughs> find a way to to do what you want to do. Well, uh, Sam, I sure appreciate you taking some time away from the sand and salt water to join me today. And well, uh, I miss back home, and um, the fact that this is going to be, you know, back back that way, that, that means a lot. Absolutely. Well, it meant a lot having you on here today. Now, before we let you go, one more thing I wanted to ask you. What advice would you offer to any aspiring broadcasters and or podcasters in our listening audience? Well, Bob Barker gave me a great answer for that. He said, you know, if there's something you want to do, just just do it. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. And if it takes a year, two years, 10 years, 20 years, stick with it. 
but you know, don't don't let anything or anyone discourage you. Just do it because there's nothing better. There's nothing better in life than doing the thing you love to do more than anything else and getting paid for it. Exactly. And um, that's that's about it. A lot of people go into this business, and about thirty minutes later, they say, oh, "I don't, I don't think this is for me." But uh, you, I, I had over forty-five years. A lot of unbelievable experiences happened to me that I could never have imagined. Right. And uh, and uh, I didn't do didn't do too bad uh, as far as the pay was concerned either. <laughs> right. So um, you know it. Uh, it, it was it was great, and if I, if I could somehow magically spin it back around and do it all over again, I I do it all over again. I don't blame you. <laughs> I think I think I would too if I were in your shoes. And by the way, I do miss Bob Barker too. Price is right. I mean, Drew Carey's okay, but he's no Bob Barker. He he does a good job, and uh, Wayne Brady does a good job on uh, Monty Hall's old show. Let's make a deal. Yeah. But uh, the the magic of both Barker and Monty Hall are uh, sorely missing. But the thing about those two shows is that it's the show that really makes it happen. Right. Uh, if if you're watching either one of those sh- shows and you're not into what's going on, give them three or four minutes and they'll be doing something entirely different. That's something else that Barker told me. He said, uh, you know, every in just in just a matter of minutes, it changes to another game or another situation. I think that's got a lot to do with it too. Sure, and a lot of people, uh, a lot of people forget Bob Barker's sidekick, Rod Roddy, but he was one of my favorites. He uh, started out in radio up in, uh, I think, up in Pittsburgh. Oh, he was working. At, he worked at a station that a former boss of mine, late Larry Aiken, former owner of WGBF. He uh, he worked with Rod Roddy uh, up there. It's. Uh, what was the name of that station? It was a three-letter call-letter station. It was KV, KVH or KVG or something like that. But yeah, oh, uh-huh. Roddy, Roddy worked with him. Come on down. Nobody does that yeah. like Rod did. <laughs> yeah, Rod, Roddy, and of course Johnny Olson. And uh, oh my gosh, we could talk about this until the cows come home, Sam. Oh, we could. We could. We, we should. We could make a whole entire episode on this subject alone <laughs> but <laughs> anyway but uh we'll we'll spare you that for now but folks send sam a request on his uh, sam yates archives page and uh be sure to take in all that he's got for you there and uh sam you've uh, you've been great we've sure enjoyed talking to you and if you're brave enough i'd love to have you back on again sometime we'll uh we'll do it sam anytime you're ready and uh I'll be listening for more more blabbing in the bluegrass. Well, at least somebody will. <laughs> <laughs> you keep you keep doing what you love to do. Keep up that passion, and uh, you you will go very far, my friend. Well, I, I appreciate that, Sam Yates. Thanks so, and that's all that matters. Well, you got it. <laughs> you take care, and we'll do it again, sir. Hello, everybody back home. Love you. Right back at you, Sam. You're the best. And I tell you, he is so easy to find. All you got to do is uh, type Sam Yates into a Facebook search, and it'll take you right to his page. And uh, just shoot in that friend request, okay? And as soon as possible, he will add you, and you will have endless access to the stories that he has posted and will continue to post about his great career. Even quite a few audio clips from uh, interviews that he did. Uh, Excuse me, conversations. There I go using the word interviews again. (laughs) I hate that word. But uh, conversations he had with uh, some of the aforementioned celebrities that uh, we mentioned during our discussion. So uh, make sure that you cruise on over there and check it out. Speaking of stories that Sam Yates posted, uh, there was one I came across since our conversation that uh, I'm still laughing about, and I just have to share it with you. It it happened right before Garth Brooks came to Roberts Stadium in 1998. I remember it well because I went to one of those shows. He did four of them. But about a month before those shows, uh, Sam was working uh, at WYNG at the time. He did something to get everybody revved up for April Fool's Day, and he said he announced on the air that Garth would be needing to stay at somebody's house while he was performing in Evansville. And he had everybody call in and give their best case as to why Garth should stay with them 
while he was performing in Evansville. And he got all these great stories from people calling in about all the, you know, the, all the room they had and uh, the luxury of their house, what great cooks they were and how they'd spoil him rotten, how he would not be disappointed. I mean, just endless stories, even some begging and pleading from callers. And after about three hours at nine o'clock or thereabouts, Sam announced that it was an April Fool's. And uh, I'll tell you, no doubt that was a big letdown for quite a few people. But in order to avoid backlash, uh, he gave away Garth Brooks tickets to uh, one of the callers who participated and gave a story as to why Garth should stay with him. As I remember right, that's how it went down. Everybody that called in was qualified to win tickets and uh, one of them was a lucky recipient. So, you know, that's sort of, you know, how he smoothed things over and gosh, I think it's great. I think it's so much fun. And uh, nobody, or very few people anyway, uh, in radio have or have had the imagination that, uh, that Sam Yates does. So we sure appreciate him uh, coming on with us and uh, allowing us to revisit the conversation. You know, I like to do that because every once in a while, I will have people make suggestions to me. You know, you ought to have this person, that person on the podcast. And I love that. I really do. But uh, sometimes it's like, well, if you'll recall, I already have had those people. And sometimes they forget or sometimes sometimes they miss my chats with them. So, uh, you know, every once in a while, I enjoy re-airing those. And uh, Sam Yates was certainly worthy of a re-air. But if you have suggestions, hey, don't let me deter you. I love hearing from uh, each and every one of my uh, my valued listeners regarding uh, people or subjects that you'd like for me to cover. And like I always say, as long as as there is a Kentucky connection and a uh, pretty good-sized Kentucky connection, I am glad to give it consideration. So, my email address is bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com, okay? B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S-B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. And uh, for those of you new to the show, you know, I try to I try to do a bunch of things on here and keep it well-rounded. I've done restaurants, I've done... Uh, State parks, musicians, even educators, exceptional educators. Once in a while, I like to uh, interview teachers and uh, talk with faculty from uh, different Kentucky schools who have uh, made a difference in the lives of students. So, uh, you know, and if you have a, a suggestion for even another avenue that I should take that I haven't yet, don't be shy. Send me that email or you can contact me via the Blabbing in the Bluegrass Facebook page. Yet again, easy to find through a Facebook search. Like and follow the page, please, if you're not already, because all of my previous shows are there. You can uh, stay up to date with the future plans from teasers that I put out about every week or so. Make comments or leave messages. And if we play our cards right, gang, we are going to come back at you Next week, it will be, let me see, September the 15th. Yes, actually, no, the 14th. September the 14th. That will be uh, a week from the day this show comes out on the 7th. So make sure that you're here. The show will not be complete without you. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. Now, before we let you go and bid you adieu for another week, Let's reveal the answer to this week's Bluegrass Brain Buster, which, you know, could pose quite a challenge for those of you. The farther west in the states you live, I would say chances are the more challenging you're going to find this Bluegrass Brain Buster. But there are four rivers, four rivers that define the Kentucky state border. I wanted you to name them all. Two of them are easy and uh, two of them are harder, in my opinion, but again, just depends on where you live. So, of course, the Ohio River straddles the north end of the state, pretty much west to east, actually. It borders uh, Kentucky and uh, Illinois in the far west, and then Kentucky and Indiana. And it uh, makes the Kentucky-Ohio border in the uh, far northeastern part of the state. Then we've got the Mississippi River, 
which separates Kentucky and Missouri in the far western part of Kentucky. Then you've got the Big Sandy River. This is where it gets a little more tricky. The Big Sandy River, uh, the confluence with the Ohio River is at Catlettsburg. So Catlettsburg is where the uh, Big Sandy and the Ohio Rivers come together in northeastern Kentucky. So the uh, the Big Sandy actually separates Kentucky and uh, West Virginia there in that far northeast. And a little farther south on the Kentucky-West Virginia border, we find the Tug Fork River. The Tug Fork River also separates Kentucky and West Virginia. That is the uh, the southern part of the Kentucky-West Virginia border. Now, the, uh, the northern portion of the Kentucky-West Virginia border is separated by the Big Sandy River. So, in essence, the Big Sandy, the Tug Fork... Those are the two hard ones. Then the Ohio and the Mississippi. Those are the four rivers that define the state borders of Kentucky. So come on back next week. I certainly plan on having another bluegrass brain buster ready for you. And remember to listen and subscribe free of charge via Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and or Verbal. More on the way, but those are the podcast directories that we are available to you on at this point. And they are all free, all easy to use, and waiting for you. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Verbal. All right at your fingertips, thus making it easier for you to keep me company on a weekly basis. So until next time around, guys and gals, keep laughing, keep smiling, and keep laughing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide because we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste.